Welcome to Stroke Forward. My name is Marsha Moran. For the next 40 minutes or so, we are going to talk about things that stroke survivors or any brain injury survivor deals with. If you look at me today, you probably don't see a person who had a stroke, but I feel it. My body functions differently. Do I think I will get back to 100%? Yes, because to think differently is to admit defeat. We will talk to all sorts of people who have been there, from survivors to caretakers, to doctors, nurses, therapists, friends, and family who have seen us at our weakest. They have cheered us with their victories, no matter how large or how small. How did we get here? That's what this show is going to tell you. Simon Barton was born and raised about 15 miles southwest of London, England in 1960. He studied and practiced mechanical engineering design before moving to North Carolina with his wife, Sarah, and their three children in 1994. At the time of his stroke in 2013, he owned and managed his design and applications engineering business in the Triangle Park area in North Carolina, where he still lives today. With the closure of his business in 2015, he took to writing and publishing. He has two books out right now, Not So Green as Cabbage Looking and Bad Rhymes, No Reason. I'm delighted to introduce Simon Barton. How are you doing today, Simon? I'm doing just tickety-boo, thank you, Marcia. Tell me about the day you had your stroke. Well, it was a, a busy day. I... I... I had my own little business. Um, it was just a small business engineering design consultancy company in the machine tool industry. And I have about 12 engineers, design engineers, and myself. I also design engineered myself, as well as being the president and CEO of the company. Um, and it was a Tuesday. The previous evening, I was working late at home because I was preparing for a wedding that was coming up the following weekend, which was my eldest son was getting married and the reception was going to be at the house. So I was doing my best to get the yard ready and all that stuff. And I remember getting a little bit exhausted and out of breath, but not thinking anything of it at the time. But on the morning of the, um, well, I can't remember the date now, the 16th of May, I think it was, um, of 2013, I went back into the office as usual at about five or six o'clock in the morning normal morning, um, and I had an appointment to make a phone call with a bank that I was borrowing money from, uh, Bank of America, as it happens, a lady called Deborah, and she needed to conduct this interview, a phone interview to approve some money that I was looking to borrow, and, um, and in the process was asking my name and my date of birth, and because I'm an Englishman at birth, um, we say our dates um, the other way around to Americans, and I remember getting confused when I was saying my birthday being the 8th of July, 1960. And I kept correcting myself, saying, oh, in your language, that is 7 8 not 8 7 which is what I was trying to say. And not realizing at the time as I was getting confused that it's probably me just slurring and going through that phase, because that was the last thing I remember saying at the time. And now that I've become a little bit more accustomed with stroke and and what happens during the process i think i was actually right in the middle of that process right then 
And of course, I just carried on like normal. And then the next thing I remember, I was on the floor. I had somehow fainted and collapsed on the floor of my office. But fortunately for me, um, my secretary, first of all, found me, um, Hannah, and um, she called Bill, who was um, an engineer that previously was a paramedic. He recognized the signs immediately when he asked me questions and asked me to do things that I couldn't do, like lift my left arm and all that stuff, and recognized the signs immediately and called 911. And I was gurneyed into an ambulance and rushed off to a local hospital where fortunately, again, they had just recently set up a, a stroke emergency program, um, identified that I had an ischemic stroke, a blood clot to the brain. Mm -hmm and um, administered this TPA drug um, to bust the clot, I think they call it. And um, and then a series of MRIs and scans after that had me in ICU for the next few days before being eventually transferred over to um, where my brain had stopped swelling, apparently. I was able to be, be transferred over to a rehab hospital where I spent the next three or four weeks. What was rehab like? Um, well, a distant memory now, but um, <laughs> at the time, I was I, I was in denial. First of all, I'd never had a stroke before. I mm -hmm. never didn't know anybody that had a stroke. Mm -hmm. um, you know, except maybe Winston Churchill. I'd heard um, one of my heroes from because I know he died of a stroke. Um, I didn't know what were the causes. And what was the process? I certainly didn't know the the symptoms and you know the loss of my left side in my case, my problems with thinking, my constant sleeping. I was asleep pretty much the whole time, just being woken up various times during the day to either um, use the bathroom or use the. Um, I wasn't allowed out of the bed, so I was given a um, a device to be able to um, pee in bed and all that stuff. Um, and I, then they they get a hoya, a which was a crane that would lift me out of the bed into a chair. And then I'd be wheeled to PT, physical therapy, at some point in the day. I'd be wheeled to occupational therapy at some point in the day. And I'd be wheeled to speech therapy at some time in the day. Probably like every other stroke survivor, we go through these three therapies in hospital for the in my case, for the next three or four weeks, about three or four times a day, one equally and equally for each. Yeah. You um, lost your filters. Um, I guess so I was so I was so I was told I had no idea what the SLP was telling me at the time. She but she made it quite big song and dance of it. She said, "Now, so I need to warn you." And I said, "Oh, what, what about what, Karen?" And she said. Um, you have, I think you have probably lost all your filters. So be very careful what you stop, think, and be careful what you say, she said. Mm -hmm. That's what she told me then. Um, of course, she was absolutely true. And because she told me that, I have flaunted that because now it gives <laughs> me a medical excuse to be rude. Um, because okay. I, you know, I was a bit direct in the first place. You know, I was a boss, a fairly extrovert. And like to think of myself as a witty, cheeky sort of guy. And um, and now I've got this condition that I can now use to so I can be rude to you, Marcia, and then and say sorry afterwards. 
It's not me being deliberately rid. It's this condition that I've got as a result of a stroke, of a brain injury. Okay. Well, what did your family feel about the cheekiness after your stroke? Um, I think they were. I think they 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 they, they were. They, they sort of gradually got used to it. I think. Okay. Uh, my wife always said I had a bit of a sense of humour in the first place uh, before the stroke, and and was reasonably filterless before the stroke. And I think she says she said to her recent in an interview recently she said to somebody that this is why I married him. Okay. Said. So it's a go. good thing that you still have cheekiness then. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I've heard that you've used book writing. Why did you need to turn your life around? And how did the book writing help you? Well, I think when it started more by accident. It wasn't like I set out to write a book. Goodness, mm -hmm. no, I'd, I'd never written a book before. Um, but I, I'd, I'd been writing most of my life, obviously with my job as a design engineer, research design engineer, especially, and developing a number of new technologies. I was obliged to write papers for conferences and, and lecture at conferences about this new technology that we had I had developed and patented. And um, so I'd you know, written lots of technical papers. So I, I, I knew you know, how to speak and write in English language. So that wasn't so daunting. But fortunately for me, my first SLP, outpatient SLP, Maura, um, said, Simon, it would be very good for you to actually, first of all, keep a journal. And secondly, um, uh, practice um, writing some essays, maybe, of, of things that you're, feelings that you're experiencing. And then you can bring an essay, if you've got an issue, Bring it with with you to my our next therapy session, and we can discuss that issue um, together and go over it. And um, it was the only thing that, out of the three therapies, you know, speech, OT, and PT, that I actually managed to achieve. In other words, I'd write a little essay, Maura would read it that day, and she say, "Good job, Simon. You, you that, that, that was interesting what you said." And and now let's talk about we talk about it. But I would leave that appointment um, at least feeling quite proud that I actually achieved something that that professional um, arm of the three um, said, you know, gave me a pat on the back. Whereas the other two, the o OT that I had to see um, and the PT, you know, that gave me the homework to practice this particular movement with my arm or my walking technique or whatever it might be with the PT. Um, I was failing miserably and pretty much in every area of PT and OT I was failing and it was through that because you know as a reasonably physically um, active guy as I was playing tennis and golf and sailing and doing all sorts of stuff that I used to do um, building things with my hands yeah I built an extension to my house on my own for my parents to visit with us and um, you know I was quite pleased with my physical prowess um, I was getting much more frustrated and getting much more miserable as a result. And it was through these essays that, and letters of apologies, because I wrote lots of letters of apologies, Marcia, uh, to PTs and OTs that I offended during the course of, of our sessions, being filterless, of course, mm -hmm. um, that um, um, when one, one, one certain OT, um, when I wrote a little poem to her as a form, as a form of apology, uh, for calling her a cow one day um 
Um, she said, although it's not an apology, Simon, it was very nice. You ought to put that in a book, uh, which really was the incentive for me, particularly on this last book, to um, to write. And and again, when the first book was published, um, you know, obviously the captive audience was was other stroke survivors. And being a party to many stroke groups that I was supporting at the time, um, you'd get the occasional stroke survivors said, by the way, Simon, I read your book, absolutely loved it. And that made me feel really good too. And I think it's that sense of achievement, you know, ego, obviously, feeding the old ego um, was what I found made me happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and and again, through writing and exploring what it was that made me happy um, with my writing, just made me want to write more. And then all of a sudden it morphed into um, a whole book. And then and then the second one came along and it was a little bit more um, precise. But um, and then and then from the books, um, um, university professor would say, would you like to come and speak to my SLP class of um, graduates that I'm training? And then so I'd then get up in front of an audience and start talking about my experiences, largely that I had learned from the my writing in the book. Uh, and then then you get a round of applause and then you feel really good for that. Uh, and all that stuff just continued to evolve and feed and feed me. And and I and it reinvented me. You know, I managed to put away all the past, you know, the, the past life that I used to have. And I've morphed and reinvented myself into the guy that's in front of you today. That's largely awesome. as a largely as a result of keeping a journal, writing the occasional essay and, and letter of apology. How long did it take you to realize that it's better to leave the old person behind and step into the new person? Um, it was probably about year, I would say year four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was still I was still under the illusion that I was going to be back to normal in no time at all. For the longest time, yeah. You know, um, I think I'm. I think I'm a um, a born again optimist. Uh, convinced that oh yeah, that would be fine. It's which is pretty much how I used to run my business, which is why my business didn't succeed in the end. Yeah. Because I went back to work, uh, thinking that everything will be fine, and then I ran it into the ground really because I couldn't listen to anybody or the advice made bad decisions and um and then the company went belly up so that made and that was at the same time as me failing in my physical therapy and occupational therapies uh and so i was at literally at rock bottom you know and i'm speaking to other stroke survivors in fact that chap that you know um in oregon who i think indicated to me that at one point he was actually suicidal yep he, yep. he, he felt very suicidal and i think i think we all go through you know, I don't think anything that's happened to me is particularly unique at Marcia. Um, I think that stroke survivors, first of all, they 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 survived it. Lucky old us, we managed to survive because some people don't, as well, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go through this wretched time, and if we're lucky, maybe our caregivers or our spouses or our loved ones stick with us and manage to keep us straighten on the straight and narrow get us to where we need to get to in the car and feed us and um help us get to the toilet and back and and so forth and into bed um 
if we if we if we married well like I did, um, then then that helps us get through those really rotten the rotten times. And once you've been that low, and then you recognize that, well, I've now got to move on with what I've got. Acceptance, in other words, you know, long answer to your question, I'm afraid, Marcia, but uh, I find that um, it, once you've accepted it, then you can then start saying, well, listen, I still have this. I still have my right hand. I can still type with one hand. I can still talk. Um, some people are not mm -hmm. as fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so use that. Use those strengths with whatever it is that you want to do next. I, I can write. I can talk. Um, and that 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 can fill that can fill the voids that those previous activities used to, used to provide. Mm -hmm. and, and and you reinvent yourself. So, but but the but I can't say that I just woke up with this epiphany. Oh, I'm going to go through this acceptance. It, it came on so gradually. Yeah. I would say almost weeks of being miserable and being quite nasty. It was only when I'm writing it down about how nasty I've become that that it dawns on you or dawned on me that maybe I ought to change my my goals, my my what what is it that I want out of life? Why does stroke recovery rub you the wrong way? Well, because I and I, I've I alluded to this in my last book. Um if you actually look up the word recovery, uh, and as I did, um, the word recovery means literally to gain back something that you've lost. You know, if you lose your wallet, you recover your wallet. You've got it back in its entirety. And in medical terms, it actually means to restoring yourself to a normal health, whatever normal means, I can't say. But um, that what I've learned with stroke, um, and also not just my stroke and everybody's stroke is different as we all know mm -hmm. although it took me a long time to work that out um, is that we really don't gain back what we had in other words uh, people who uh, you know I have a friend up the road here actually who, who had a right brain stroke uh, you had a right brain I think Marcia right yep. right brain stroke so oh, he, no. he was probably, probably like you he was weak on his left side well, he was opposite to me. I mean, he persevered and, and worked really, really hard with his exercises and, and his homework from his occupational and physical therapists. And he wasn't going to be beaten by this thing. And he managed to get function with his bad side, his, his, his affected left side, to the extent that he could pick up things with his left hand. He could, he could walk in the yard with a wheelbarrow, something I could never dream of doing. Um, I mean, he's actually, but even he, when I, when I asked him, I said, so if you were to compare it with where you were before the stroke, what would you say? 80%, 100%? He said, oh, no, no, 50. He's only got, he never got it all back. So he hasn't recovered. Yeah. He, he, he's better than he was at the beginning of the stroke. So, and I think we do get better than we were at the beginning of the stroke, but. We don't gain back what we had, what we were, where we were before. That's why I think recovery is a wrong word and shouldn't be used. It should be banned from the English language, from the SLP and the OT and the PT's languages. If it's not recovery, do you have a different word? Yes, discovery. Discovery is my word. Um, discover, discover what you can do. Dis, re, discover your new self. Um, 
reinvent yourself. So uh, it's a journey of discovery for me. Le I've learned a lot more about who I was before, who I am now through my writing. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that I didn't particularly like the guy that I was before. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't like the guy that I had morphed into after, immediately after the stroke. Whereas I really like the guy I am now. That's cool. What's the one thing you would leave brain injury survivors or their caretakers with knowing? Um, that um, the future is good. Uh, I did a little survey of stroke survivors in my in my acquaintance. Mm -hmm. It's a very basic survey. Um, and it was something that I did for myself in in looking at where I have been these these three different characters, him, the bloke before the stroke, as I call him. Um, then there was that guy, the guy that didn't know why, um, who 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 was straight after the stroke. And then there's me, ten years post, still making the most. Um, those three completely different characters, um, and I, and and it was I wanted to actually compare these three characters in terms of how happy I am, um, and came up with a you know looked at looking at all the character character traits of the three individuals and what makes me happy, and to to conclude that I really am happier now than I was in previous two characters. And I want to do the same with other stroke survivors. So I designed this little survey form, starting with the recovery question you just asked, as to where they feel, how they felt they are, and asked their caregivers also to help them answer the, the questions, to score, score their results of, of how their affected limbs are in comparison to where they were before the stroke. And barely anybody scored a higher number than 50% on, on the physical side. On the speaking side, your communication side, barely anybody scored anything over 50% on that as well. The only one area that they actually scored above 50%, somewhere between 50 and 80%, was in the area of optimism. Oh. Um, which was, in other words, stroke survivors, once they've got through that rotten first couple of years, are generally optimistic, generally happier, happy people, as happy now as they were before the stroke, because that's the whole point. It was in comparison with where they were before the stroke. Um, and yeah, and these are all obviously people that are post 36 months or longer. And even after three years in some of these cases, they, I got results back that said, oh, well, actually, I feel as good today as I did before the stroke in terms of of the future Interesting. so i don't believe so i on that on the strength of my own personal experience and the experience of all these other stroke survivors i i, I surveyed my first thing i would say is it's not the end of the world um you don't you don't need to be thinking yourself as a victim oh where is me no. um, please go make make the most of what you've got love those that are that love you back around you and um uh and go and do something good with yourself and 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 you can find it you know it might not be writing in your case it might be something else um but um it's it, it you you can lead a good life and 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 those people none of them were writers like me 
none of, but some of them actually did manage to get back to work. Some and what you know, one of them, one of them, in fact, I, I was actually at a group meeting with him just um yesterday, a Tuesday's back to work group meeting that I attend. This was a guy that's now gone back to lecturing uh, in architecture at the local university here. Now he acknowledges that no way can he lecture like he, he used to, but he's but but he's done it. He's admitted to his class that he has this um, slight communication issue and to bear with him. They've accepted it and he's happy with it uh, at his slower pace. And, and he's enjoying life just like uh, he was before or as much, almost as much as he was before. Hmm. So, I, I, so I think that this, the, the news of optimism is the first thing. And when I do these little talks, which is largely to SLPs, I target the SLPs particularly, and I target them because the SLP was really the only person out of out of the three professionals that was really the one that was relaying to me what was happening to me and what I was going to experience in the future and how mm -hmm. hard it was going to be. So they were the, they were my source, my first source and have been since as to what to expect. So I, I think that's why I've targeted the SLPs because that will be the same pretty much anywhere to any stroke survivor in the country, I assume. Um, so to spread that message and is what I wanted to do with the SLP. So I even say to the S group of SLPs, if I do my job right today with my presentation, um, I expect each of you to leave this room um, nodding your head and saying to the person next to you, I need to go and get me one of them strokes. <laughs> in a, in a, and I put on my best American Alabama accent I can. I need to get me one of them strokes because <laughs> He's obviously having a great time over there um, and, and, and pass the message on. We are not victims. Um, life is good and life will get better. Okay. And we have every reason to enjoy life. And that, that's, the, that's the message I, I'm trying to spread as best I can. Particularly. You've given me a lot to think about, Simon. Thank you so much for being on Stroke Forward. Marcia, the pleasure was all mine, darling. You let me talk, but much too much, I'm sure. Um, sorry, sorry if I, I waffled a bit too much. You did not waffle at all. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Stroke Forward Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it on Facebook, LinkedIn, or anywhere else you heard it. If you want a copy of Just Say Yes to Life, please order it from Amazon.com. The proceeds go to Stroke Awareness Oregon an amazing nonprofit that educates about stroke causes, prevention, and treatment options. The book, Stroke Forward, is also available on Amazon.com.